Hey guys, before we start this episode, I want to shout out my friend Josh Tavera for supplying this week's outro music. I created the intro music myself, and I'm going to try to either create or procure new outro music every episode if I have the time. So anyways, sit back and enjoy. Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning into Reddit in Moderation, the podcast where we talk to subreddit moderators to see what they and their community are all about. This week, we are joined by a moderator of r slash cryptocurrency user jwintermm to discuss everything related to cryptocurrency. I just wanted to provide a brief disclaimer. My guests and I are in no way, shape, or form financial advisors. All financial opinions of ours should not be taken into consideration while making your own financial decisions. Also, before we get into the interview, I just want to briefly uh, define cryptocurrency and why I think it's uh, worthy of discussion. As defined by Oxford Languages, on a brief uh, Google search, a uh, cryptocurrency is a digital currency in which transactions are verified and records are maintained by a decentralized system using cryptography rather than a centralized authority such as our US uh, minted uh, dollars. Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency created in 2009 by an anonymous developer known as Satoshi Nakamoto. Since then, the value of Bitcoin has gone up astronomically and there are now a plethora of cryptocurrencies to invest in, such as Ethereum, Cardano, Doge, and etc. Keeps going on. It's important that we talk about crypto because it is now more relevant than ever before and holds the potential to become the leading form of currency. With that being said, I would like to introduce our guest, moderator of r slash cryptocurrency, John Winter, aka J Winter M. Thank you for being with us here today. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem, no problem. So anyways, I just wanted to briefly discuss um, yourself. So I just want to know, uh, what do you do and where are you uh, calling? Where do I call home? Oh, where are you calling from? Like just, you know, in general, like in the United States? I'm sitting in my basement uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs. Uh, and what do I do? Uh, until recently, I was an engineer. Um, I worked for six years at Lawrence Livermore National Lab after I got my PhD from UT Dallas. Um, and then I worked briefly for a company called Holtec in Camden, New Jersey, which makes basically giant nuclear trash cans. Um, and then I left that company in May and I've recently started a company with a few other folks from California called patron.me, uh, that's P-A-T-R-N.me, which is a new kind of like NFT platform. Uh, and kind of the unique twist is that we do like crowdfunding for NFTs. Oh man, that's super cool. And, you know, totally relevant to our conversation because I definitely wanted to uh, touch uh, touch on uh, NFTs later. And then we'll definitely like plug your... Um, company in the bio for the podcast later on too and I know uh I'm a a huge fan of basements by the way you know (laughs) here 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 in California we don't have any basements you know yeah and I I, yeah I was actually I lived in California before I moved back here Livermore is like outside of Oakland more or less and and I lived in Texas before that and there's no basements in Texas either but I'm from Delaware originally and now I'm back in the region so I have my nice dungeon 
authors oh. down here <laughs> i'm so i'm so jealous they're just yeah. i don't know what it is it's just something so comfy about it you know like you're just like safe from like hurricanes tornadoes you know zombie apocalypses <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> just, i don't know i'm just a big basement fan i gotta do a uh interview for r slash basements afterwards or something yeah <laughs> anyways so uh, how did you get into cryptocurrency um so when i was in grad school um I kind of got on to IRC, uh, which is Internet Relay Chat, which is like old school Internet chat goes back to like the 1990s. Oh, wow. And yeah, I've never heard of it. I've heard of like AIM and stuff like that, but never. never yeah, I think it's probably older than AIM. Um, and like I had this guy who like he was like a research professor, health advisor guy who was like kind of pushing me towards some open source tools like um like rather than using matlab maybe use uh new octave or use python and rather than use windows maybe try to use linux and so like i mean the kind of the support network for those kind of tools existed on irc um and i just was like kind of fooling around on irc and in late 2013, I guess, one of the, I, I, I kind of like came out of nowhere, but quickly became one of the biggest channels on Freenode, which was the largest IRC network was Dogecoin. Mm. Um, so I, I, I was like talking to the people on the IRC and it was fun and, and I tried mining uh, with my crappy laptops that I had lying around. Um, and I kind of quickly got hooked and bought a bunch of graphics cards early next year and started mining all kinds of random coins in my mm -hmm. garage in Texas um, and participating in the Reddit cryptocurrency as well as like Bitcoin talk and, and joining lots of chats on IRC and other places and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so what year was this roughly? Uh, it was right when Dogecoin launched, which was like the end of 2013. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so you've been in the game for a while, you know, because it mostly, you know, crypto started getting big around, like, probably around then, actually, you know, because it's Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like the first bubble, I guess, where Bitcoin went up to like $1,000 at the end of 2013. Yeah, yeah. I started investing in uh, Bitcoin during its first crash, I think that was around like 2018 or something like that. So like, uh, I mean, it crashed after that. Well. Yeah, 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 of course. Times, yeah. Of course, it was just I, I bought I bought right like initially when it started crashing. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get like a fire sale. And then like it just kept going. I'm like, oh, no. But yeah, you know, but... I'm, I'm one of those people that I don't know, you know, um, I like to hold on for, you know, dear life. You know, I'm a, I'm a hodler. Um, so I kept it and I've seen, a, you know, it, it really has gone up quite a bit. What is your, like, um, your strategy? Like, do you like to hold or are you more active? I am not much of a trader, to be honest. I used to trade uh, more in the past, like pre-2017, I guess. And then... Um, I guess after I had been working, so I, I took the position at the Livermore Lab 
in early 2015. So as a postdoc and, and probably after I was there for a year or a year, so I kind of just decided, I, I mean, I probably had like 50 coins or something at that point, like a lot. And I just consolidated down to a much smaller number and kind of just didn't worry about trying to catch every wave and ride, you know, everything and, and just, you know, pick the coins that I was really more of a true believer in and just not worry about it as much. Yeah. So you were saying you invested in like 50 different types of coins is what you're saying? I mean, I used to mine all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would have stuff that I mined and then I would trade around a little bit. Yeah. So I had all kinds of different coins. Can you explain like the mining process for our listeners? Because a lot of people get confused about that. They think, you know, that you're actually like physically like mining or doing something on your (laughs) computer. So yeah, it's more or less um, just, I mean, the, the, three words that explain it is proof of work, right? Mm -hmm. You have to prove that you are expending energy, right? Because like the physics definition of work is energy expended. Mm -hmm. Um, So so how do you do that? Um, You use what are called hash functions, uh, where it's basically like a mathematical function where you can input any data and it spits out a big number that's like, 128 digits long or something Mm -hmm. and in order to like successfully mine a block then for like bitcoin for instance the first 50 number 50 digits in that number have to be zeros like the number that comes out of the hash function which is totally random has to be below a certain value in order to be a like uh legitimate block that can be added to the blockchain um and the way that they generate these block candidates i guess is they take all of the transactions that people want to make in that block and the timestamp and they run it through the hash function with what's called a nonce Mm -hmm. which is just kind of a random number and if it's not if it doesn't meet the the target if it's not below that threshold, the difficulty threshold, then they just change the nonce to the next number, which will completely change the output of the hash function. So like whatever you put into the hash function, if you change one little thing, the output is completely different. Um, So they just, you know, Bitcoin, the network on Bitcoin uh, creates an insane number of hashes per second Mm -hmm. like the number of the miners it's like it probably the number doesn't even have a name that it's so large at this point Mm -hmm. (laughs) but all the proof of work blockchains operate on the same principle like the miners are taking all the transactions and the timestamp and the block number and then this random number that they call the nonce they run it through the hash function. If it meets that difficulty target, then they broadcast it to the network and say, hey, I found the block, add it to the blockchain, and they check and make sure it's legitimate. And, and if, if it's not, if it doesn't meet that difficulty target, then they, they change the nonce and they hash it again. And they do that, you know, millions or billions of times per second mm-hmm. each miner. So 
I guess that's as best of explanation as I can give. Yeah, no, that was a good explanation because if you weren't able to give one, mine was going to be super elementary and probably inaccurate. So that sounded very good to me. Um, And that's why you were saying that you uh, were like you were buying graphics cards and stuff like that. And you had, you know, computers with good graphics cards because those are the ones that are better at solving these algorithms, right? Yeah, at that point, even in 2013, there were already ASICs for Bitcoin, which means application-specific integrated circuits. Mm -hmm. So those are basically silicon chips that are uh, manufactured for the sole purpose of mining Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't even Uh, know that was a thing. Yeah, so like when Bitcoin launched, in 2009 you could mine it with a cpu just like your your cpu in any computer Mm -hmm. and then after a couple of years people figured out how to mine it with graphics cards with the gpu which is like much more efficient than Mm -hmm. the cpu and then you know shortly after that they they used fpgas which are like reprogrammable silicon and then shortly after that, they started mining with ASICs. I think the first ASIC was in 2012, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so so once, once ASICs came out for Bitcoin, you could not mine Bitcoin with any reasonable return with even a graphics card or a CPU. Mm-hmm. Let, um, but, but there's you know, hundreds of other cryptocurrencies that you could mine. They use, and they tried to use different proof of work algorithms to like allow people to still participate in, in mining from their you know home computers yeah and then there's also uh, proof of stake um, that i wanted to kind of talk about uh, with you later on when we talk more about you know crypto in depth um you know right now i actually just kind of want to just <laughs> before we get too in depth with um with mining and everything i just want to talk about kind of you know uh the coins that you were investing in uh, again because we kind of got onto a tangent about the mining but you were saying you know initially you invested in like 50 but then you kind of narrowed it down to you know a smaller amount uh so like what coins like now are you um like uh investing in or mining uh i haven't mined anything for a number of years now um but the coins that i hold is primarily bitcoin and ethereum um and besides that uh i i have some monero uh that's probably the next largest holding that i have uh which is a community that i was involved with by mining as well as i did some other stuff with monero people um and i like developed some very crappy applications (laughs) for monero um and I have some Decred and I have some Nano, I have some Tezos and I have some Wownero, which is a fork of Monero that I launched in 2018. So I have to have some of the coin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you better. (laughs) But besides that, I I think that's mostly it. Um, but, But primarily, Bitcoin and Ethereum and a little bit to a lesser extent Monero. Cool. Yeah. So why don't we touch on those three? Uh, you know, first, what would you say are like the differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum? Because those are the top two uh, cryptos on the market right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, Bitcoin is, of course, 
the oldest cryptocurrency and it's kind of got the most trust built up behind it. And I think it's uh, kind of, you know, I guess the, what is like the real value proposition of cryptocurrency? And ultimately it comes down to that it's a decentralized system that no one, no one person or, or country or anything really has control over, right? Yeah, I agree with that too. So I think Bitcoin has the strongest argument that it is the most decentralized coin. Because um, we, you know, we're still arguing over who even like created it too. You know, with Satoshi Nakamoto, like no one actually knows who that person is or if they're still invested right, in it. Right. Or yeah, it's yeah. like that's like that in itself is kind of like unrepeatable. Like you, it's to some extent unrepeatable. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, it's number one since forever, and, and I think it's got a good argument about why it's going to remain number one in terms of decentralization. Mm -hmm. um, and Ethereum is more versatile, and you know, in terms of being able to create so-called smart contracts, yeah, um, where people can do decentralized lending or borrowing or as well as like stuff like NFTs, like tokens that can represent ownership in something, um, which Bitcoin, you can do NFTs on Bitcoin as well. But I mean, Big Ethereum has a bit more capability in, in terms of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Ethereum is currently uh, secured by proof of work, um, but it's, scheduled or, or planned to switch to so-called proof of stake mm -hmm. where where the mining doesn't happen anymore by proof of work but it is the you know the chain security is is done by people who hold the coin rather than people who expend energy to secure the network mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big differentiator as well and, and it's very hard to do that like there's been a million proof of stake coins and a, and a million different variations on it. Um, and it, it's hard to get right in terms of how do you do that in a way that the system is not able to be gamed uh, and, and, and like demonstrate that as clearly as you can for proof of work. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think that um, the system is more easily to be gamed? Is it because uh, people that invest more to or you know that stake more they have the ability to manipulate the market more or like well i guess the simplest is that like it doesn't if there's no penalties um then it doesn't cost um validators anything to propose two different you know possible blocks so it, whereas in Bitcoin, you know, you're spending energy to propose a new block with proof of stake, you don't have to expend any energy. You could propose an infinite number of different blocks mm -hmm. and it doesn't cost you anything. So you could, you know, propose that you spend money to one person in one block and propose you spend money to another person in another. In, 
it doesn't cost you anything to do that. Whereas if you're a miner in Bitcoin, you can't do that without expending energy on both of those different forks. Um, I guess that's kind of a simple explanation and I'm not super well-versed in all of the um, intricacies of, of proof of stake, but mm. I mean, it, it's taken Ethereum forever to really get to the point where they're gonna fork to proof of stake yeah. and they have a lot of smart people working on it. So just mm -hmm. based on that, I think you can kind of understand that there's issues. And I mean, there's papers published by Bitcoin people going back, you know, five or six years on, on what are the problems with proof of stake. And, and one of those problems is, is what I was describing is called the nothing at stake problem. Like it mm. doesn't cost you anything to propose different possible histories of the blockchain. That's true, that's true. Um, now, when Ethereum does switch to proof of stake, I know that there's gonna be like Ethereum 2.0. So is Ethereum, is it gonna be like a hard fork where it becomes like a whole different cryptocurrency or is it like a soft fork where they kind of like just rebrand themselves and like, yeah, uh, it'll be a hard fork in, I mean, a hard fork means that anybody who doesn't update will get kicked off of the network. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of the definition. So it will be a hard fork, but I expect everybody would, well, everybody except for the miners, maybe, <laughs> yes, they're going to get kicked <laughs> off of the network. We'll be on board with it, but yeah, it, that's I true. Mean, technically speaking, it, it will be a hard fork. And Ethereum hard forks fairly regularly. Uh, probably at least once a year, I think. So I, I mean, I think all of the exchanges and all of the, pretty much all of the big holders and stuff are all ready to update and are on board with that. Yeah, I think most people are interested in it, you know, um, myself included, I think it'll be, I mean, you know, what you're scaring about the, the manipulation and, you know, like the low amount of, you know, a risk that people take you are not risk but you know you know they don't have to put anything into it to, to mine it or to stake it compared to bitcoin um that raises a little bit of concern for me but otherwise i'm excited because uh, it's supposed to make you know the system more efficient and uh, have you know hopefully less of a carbon um foot impact as well as well because i know bitcoin actually you know takes a lot of energy to uh to mine and everything. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute too. But um, can you talk to me about the uh, the third uh, cryptocurrency that you normally invest in? Uh, so Monero is a coin that launched in spring of 2014. And actually Monero is probably the only other coin in the top 100 for sure, I think that the creator of the coin is anonymous. Nobody knows Nobody knows who created Monero, which mm. is a fork of Bitcoin, which is kind of a scam. Nobody knows who created Bitcoin either really. Um, and Monero's kind of unique value proposition is that, um, that transactions and, and your, your kind of account history are all untraceable. So mm -hmm. it's a quote unquote privacy coin. Um, and it, it achieves that by using technology called ring signatures and stealth addresses. Um, and I'm not like a huge privacy geek. Um, I mean, I'm on here talking to yeah. you. So <laughs> That's true. It's not really, but when it launched, yeah, I mean, that was kind of one side of it is that it, it's, it was really kind of revolutionary when it launched. Um, 
in terms of because you know with bitcoin or especially with ethereum it's very easy to see all of the history that you have you know left behind on the mm -hmm. blockchain the blockchain is open for anyone to analyze and they can see who you receive money from who you sent money to um and so with monero that's not possible uh at least in theory and, and pretty much all of the time in practice as well um so you know nobody can tell when somebody sent you money nobody can tell when you send money to somebody else um and that's you know a lot of people value that um to a, to a large degree i mean for the same reason you would use DuckDuckGo, for the same reason you would use a vpn mm -hmm. you don't want your financial activity to be visible on the blockchain yeah um, i can see why you specifically uh value that as well because that's why you value bitcoin because it's you know really just hones in on the whole a decentralized aspect of it because you know yeah I actually like so really I, I mean i i kind of got into monero more because the other half of it was in their white paper they had a new proof of work algorithm that they proposed would be able to you know be mined with the cpu into an eternity which it wasn't it, it, i mean they had to tweak it and um but it's still you mine monero with your cpu you don't need you you really can't use a graphics card, um, let alone an ASIC or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of, at least in some respects, decentralizes the coin more. Um, and I got into it when I was mining all kinds of stuff. So, so that was really what drew me in. Um, and I participated, like I made some wallet front ends and stuff and some minor front end so you didn't have to use the terminal you could just like click a button and start mining um so i just and i i mean i remained a part of the community on irc and on reddit and other places as well mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like with the uh, cpu mining it also makes it more accessible because you know you know all computers obviously have a computer but you know and you know most computers will have you know integrated graphics cards and stuff like that so you'd have to actually you know build a computer with a solid graphics card you know to mine most right of yeah i mean if you're gonna mine with a graphics card then you don't just have i mean you could just have one but i think you know most people that do it by a motherboard and a cpu and then they plug like six graphics cards into one motherboard Oh, I didn't know or, that you could run multiple. The, and yeah, That's yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like big farms where they probably have six or 12 GPUs on every motherboard and they have thousands of GPUs mm -hmm. on racks. So, yeah. Uh, so besides mining, do you also like buy cryptocurrencies? And if so, like what crypto marketplace do you use? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, not so much um, lately, but I use Coinbase. Um, I use Kraken. Um, I use Trade Ogre because they're the only exchange that lists Wellnero, at least the only like exchange that I will use that lists Wellnero. Mm. Um, and I use a couple of I use KuCoin a little bit. Um, I mean, I've probably used dozens or <laughs> it sounds days. like you use them a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of half of these. Is there I a reason a why you use so many? Is it because like you know well, some like if, coins are I only mean, listed on some marketplaces? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. 
tradition like i mean going back several years that is a, definitely the reason why um and now for now i mostly use coinbase and kraken uh and trade ogre a little bit i mean i don't really trade while narrow but i like i log on and check out how the market looks like mm -hmm. what do you think about people that use uh robin hood uh to buy and trade cryptocurrencies i mean it's up to them how they want to trade it i i mean i would not use robin hood my little brother uses robin hood to trade options which i also think not really a great idea mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, i mean it, it kind of i've heard that robin hood is going to allow you to withdraw your cryptocurrency in the near future yeah because that's what the main issue is is like you're not really owning the cryptocurrency right. if you can't withdraw it and sort it in a digital wallet you know like i mean i i get it like if you just want to invest and you don't want to deal with it like i mean that's that's anyone's prerogative but i mean i personally i got into it because i like to like play with the cryptocurrency and, and use the network and stuff so mm -hmm. i would definitely encourage people to at least try somewhere where they can you know withdraw their coins and send them around and kind of use the system mm -hmm. a little bit yeah so after you buy the cryptocurrencies how do you store it in that marketplace or do you like use a wallet and uh if so where's your wallet and can i get the password <laughs> well, uh no i don't leave much on the exchange um i'm not going to tell you where my wallet is <laughs> but uh I, I do i use a hardware wallet um as well as other uh paper wallets uh the hardware wallet that i use is a ledger it works really well on linux and windows and android um I have nothing bad to say about Trezor or any other. I mean, I definitely encourage you. Well, if you have, I mean, I don't think it makes sense if you have a few hundred dollars or even maybe, you know, a couple thousand dollars, like just, you probably just as well leave it on the exchange. Mm -hmm. It's probably not worth the risk reward. And at this point, I mean, with Coinbase being a public company, maybe, I don't know at what, what dollar value it becomes rational to take your coins off the exchange if ever but, but yes I, I don't leave my coins on the exchange i custody them myself mm -hmm. yeah i i agree with that um i personally leave my coins on the exchange because i feel like i put them on the hard drive and I would forget it somewhere or something, you know, I'd feel like I, you know, wouldn't be responsible enough to store it on a hard drive. And I heard all these stories of people that invested like early on in Bitcoin and then they had like oh. all these coins on hard drives and they lost them or they forgot like the passcode to them or something. And I just, I don't want to yeah. be that guy. But <laughs> I, can, I can see why people do it both ways, you know. Um, do you hold any other assets uh, like stocks or, you know, real estate or anything? I own my house. Oh, okay. Oh, you own the basement. Okay. <laughs> yes, own the nice. Basement. That's even better when you own the basement. <laughs> yeah. Don't own any other real estate. Um, and I actually, I used to kind of play around with individual stocks. Um, and I don't, I, I own ETFs now. I own like S&P ETF. Like I feel like Oh, okay, index funds and everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have like enough risk exposure in cryptocurrency, so besides that I just don't try and play around with anything else. 
Yeah, that's kind of how I see it too. Um, most of my portfolio is invested into uh, ETFs, index fund, like um, Vanguard's VTI. And then I have some, you know, money I allocate, you know, towards, you know, higher risk options like cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. And I think, you know, I, and hopefully eventually, you know, uh, cryptos won't actually be seen as an investment, but more actually as, you know, a currency, you know, so what do you think about that? Do you think that crypto should be viewed as an investment or actually just as a, a, a currency like a U.S. dollar? Like people don't say I'm investing in the U.S. dollar or something like that. I mean, maybe some people do. Yeah, some, people, some people, that's true. I should say nobody does, but yeah. I think it's both. Um, and I think some people, you know, I think for sure at this point, Bitcoin is both. And, and I think with the you know, kind of the adoption of Bitcoin by El Salvador and, and as well as like companies in the United States mm -hmm. like um, Bakht and Strike. And I mean, they're trying to use Bitcoin as a payment network, not, not on the layer one, but on this lightning network or other layer two networks. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's both like the, I, but I think the vast majority of the appeal of Bitcoin to like the investor class is that it's, it's not manipulatable, right? It's, it kind of comes back to decentralization mm -hmm. is that nobody can print more Bitcoin when there's an economic collapse due to, you know, companies being over leveraged on bad real estate mm -hmm. investments or due to a pandemic or whatever like so I think that's the appeal of Bitcoin for sure and, and probably the majority of the appeal for Bitcoin for some of the other networks like uh, like Loopring or Nano or you know they, they pitch themselves more as a pure currency but at the same time, those networks are so small, like the value of all the coins on the network is hundreds of millions or a billion dollars. Like mm -hmm. if it was really widely used as a payment network, then kind of by necessity, it would have to be worth a lot more. Yeah, it would have to be so, worth even more than what Bitcoin is worth. Maybe, I mean, or if there's many of them. And, but in any case, I mean, it's still if you believe in it as a currency, then it, you also kind of necessarily have to believe in it as an investment, right? Mm. So now, do I you think, oh, sorry. I, I was just gonna say, I don't think it's, it, it, or it's really hard to separate the two. Yeah. Do you think that eventually cryptocurrency will become universally acceptable as a form of payment, at least, you know, in the United States? Like, do you think I'll be able to go over to my grocery store and you know, pick up some bananas with, you know, 0. 0.00005 of a, <laughs> of a Bitcoin or something. I think it's getting there already. I mean, I deal with a lot of people around the world and payments go back and forth in Bitcoin and Ethereum or Monero or, or whatever. Like, and so that's not at the department store or whatever. It's not at maybe you know the mom and pop shop on the corner mm -hmm. but i think it is already pretty broadly accepted especially among people who you and i would be dealing with like if if it's 
you know, somebody who's under 40 years old, um, you probably got like, you know, a one in five or one in two chance of being like, yeah, pay me in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, um, I, and I think if you're able to do it at the grocery store, then it, it, it'll probably, at least in the near term, end up being more like using, I mean, you already kind of can, like you can get a Coinbase debit card and spend your crypto via the debit card at wherever you want, right? And there's a lot of those crypto.com mm -hmm. and stuff like that, right? So I think that's probably the more, I mean, that's, that's already, you can spend it anywhere. So I think in the near future, that's kind of the way that it's gonna go. Uh, but I think if you look at like El Salvador, if there's other countries that kind of come on board with that type of enthusiasm, I guess, um, then I think you could see direct Bitcoin or whatever payments via your cell phone or whatever happen a lot more broadly in the near future. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of that coin, do you think that there's any chance that Bitcoin or cryptocurrency will become illegal in the U.S.? Because I know that in other countries, it has been banned. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm a very, uh, I guess, skeptical person in general. So I'm never sure about anything. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I would say the possibility is very low at, at this point uh, that there would be any, any real abridgment of the right to hold or use cryptocurrency in the United States or, or anywhere else in, in kind of the Western world. Um, I just, I mean, if a company like Coinbase goes public and, and PayPal is, is, you know, custodying cryptocurrency and allowing users to spend cryptocurrency, I just can't imagine that there's going to be support to completely outlaw it mm -hmm. now while we're talking about negative things regarding <laughs> cryptocurrency um what are your thoughts about you know bitcoin mining and like its environmental effects like you understand that you know the mining process is terribly inefficient compared to you know how um regular transactions are facilitated say on like a credit card yeah and i am I'm, I'm personally not really a fan of the word inefficient. I think that that's kind of the cost of running the network. And it's not just about the cost in energy per transaction, but it's about, you know, securing the network across the world. Um, and I think a lot of it is kind of overblown um, in terms of the amount of energy used. Like, I, haven't looked at the numbers really recently, but I mean, a couple of years ago, like during the month of November and December, like there was more energy expended, I think, to like display Christmas lights than there was used to secure the Bitcoin network. Huh. So like, is that that's, a waste that's of pretty energy? Interesting, like, yeah. I mean, or is like playing video games a waste of energy? Like, what's the <laughs> no, economic? No, don't, don't bring video games into this. We leave that alone, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I mean, like, what is a waste of energy? Like, like who decides what is wasteful? Yeah. And, and uh, just for oh, sorry, just for our listeners, real quick, I did pull up a stat. Um, so according to Harvard Business Review, uh, Bitcoin currently consumes around 
100 terawatt hours per year, which is 0.55% of global electricity production or roughly equivalent to the annual energy draw of small countries like Malaysia or Sweden. So, I mean, it's not nothing, but- It's not nothing, it's a lot of energy. And I think, you know, so besides what I already said about Christmas lights or video games, Mm -hmm. like energy is not easy to store. Like there's tons and tons of energy producers. And, you know, if they don't, if they, if they don't have customers to deliver that energy to, then it just gets dissipated as heat True. anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to say, you know, how much of that energy, like are, if, if they're buying excess energy from a hydroelectric producer, like if that energy was just going to go to waste, then it's hard to call it an inefficient use of energy as well. I, I think it's a really complicated situation, but I, I, I'm not one that considers it a waste or even necessarily inefficient. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, I also have been hearing about how um, Bitcoin like mining companies have or, you know, uh, businesses have been like moving their operations uh, to make them more efficient as well and decrease their carbon footprint, such as like moving it to um, like, uh, you know, northern countries like Norway, Sweden, stuff like that, because it's more efficient to cool the computers. And that's one of the biggest costs of uh, energy is, is actual cooling of the computers. Yeah, and at the same time, I know there's a company in Pennsylvania who is now, I think they're a public company and they're burning coal that is like too poor quality to burn it to generate power for for homes and businesses. And they're like burning it up to power Bitcoin miners. So that's like, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I mean, with that being said, that sounds bad, but I guess it's like, I think they got approved to do it because like nobody else wanted to get rid of this waste coal and, and mm-hmm. they wanted to get rid of it. So, I, I mean, it, I don't think it's a simple issue. Um, and I think people try and kind of like portray it as something that is like very black and white. And I don't think that it is, but overall, I would say, I don't think it, it's inefficient or wasteful. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that there are any cryptocurrencies that are just straight up bad and maybe should be banned? I don't think that there's any cryptocurrencies that should be banned, probably, um, because the, ultimately they're all just software, and software is speech, and I don't think that we should be banning speech. But there's plenty of bad cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. and I, I do think that uh of the whatever 10,000 cryptocurrencies that exist right now uh probably the vast majority of them are are would fit in the bad category Mm -hmm. now do you think that there's a difference between kind of like meme coins like uh you know doge and like uh, shiba inu uh and like actual like like I don't, for lack of a better word, like scheme coins, like like BitConnect, or like was it like Safe Moon? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Um, and like for Dogecoin, just to kind of focus on that, like it it was launched. I, I will assume uh, innocently by an engineer and a graphics designer in 
the, you know, November, December of 2013, I think December. Uh, but within a couple of months, there was already, like there's this classic uh, text by this guy named Wo Long, W-O-L-O-N-G, mm -hmm. Wo Long, who was like, orchestrated this huge pump and dump of Dogecoin in, in early 2014. And, mm -hmm. and, and then he like wrote this paper on, on how and why he did it. And like, even now, like I think- So he, know, wrote, a, he wrote a manifesto on it. He did, yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a, a true villain. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know, I don't know, that I, I don't follow sheep that closely, but like, even if it was launched innocently, like I think both of those coins are kind of like, controlled by a very small number of people mm. and like so if you want to get a few and and, and I, I like i do think that's a good thing about doge and and probably you know sheep as well is that like it's super cheap you know you can buy 100 coins and play around and like with dogecoin you're, you're basically playing with the same technology that underlines the Bitcoin network and, and for sheep like it's an ERC 20 token on the ethereum network like you can kind of play around with the ethereum network all the I guess the token is cheap but probably moving it around and doing stuff is expensive with gas fees on ethereum uh so I I don't think they're bad but I don't think that they're a good investment or mm -hmm. <laughs> anything more than like a fun toy and i do think that they're probably pretty kind of manipulated yeah uh, do you think that it, it basically those types of coins do you think that affects the images or the image of cryptocurrency as a whole in like a negative view to some extent probably yeah but i think it also brings a lot of people in so i don't think that it's yeah i think it does too. I think it's, it's a little <laughs> bit hype too i think <laughs> i think yeah. it actually draws a lot of people in too because they see the vast fluctuations so people get excited about it um, what do you think about more like um, kind of, I don't want to say, I'll say abstract uh, crypto ideas such as um, uh, mana for like, a, you know, a decentral land? Um, you know, I think that those kind of tokens that represent ownership in a so-called DAO or decentralized autonomous organization are very, still very new. As, as a kind of idea. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, like Uniswap token is, is a huge, which is, is a little bit different, but I mean, it's still kind of along the same lines as MANA mm -hmm. um, in terms of like representing ownership and governance in a nominally decentralized organization. Um, I think that they're interesting experiments. I think that a lot of them are probably really bad investments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would agree with that too. <laughs> I tried, I actually just tried uh, Decentraland. Oh, okay. A few days ago and mm -hmm. it, it's like, it's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it looks not... like RuneScape or something, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. it's like if you took Roblox and made it look <laughs> ugly, right? And like, and it's all buggy, and like, 
So I think, you know, like who wants to own that? Who wants to spend, you know, thousands or, or millions of dollars to, to own a piece of that? Apparently a lot of people do, or at least they want to kind of try it out and, and participate. So I, I think, I would just say, I think they're interesting experiments, but I think it's very early and I'm not sure that there's any really good examples of, of a decentralized organization. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, there's potential there, but it just hasn't been executed, you know, properly yet. And it just needs more time. And I'd be skeptic to invest in something like uh, the central land real estate. But I do think it's cool that they're, um, you can trade NFTs there. They have like a marketplace for that as well. And I know that you're kind of into NFTs. So could you maybe explain to our audience like what NFTs are and why you're into them? Yeah, so NFT just stands for non-fungible token, uh, which is kind of at odds with, I mean, at least nominally, Bitcoin and Ethereum are fungible tokens, which means that any Bitcoin is exchangeable with any other Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, equal value. Yeah. You can't distinguish one from the other. Monero people would probably disagree with that and say that, you know, a Bitcoin that came from North Korea is not equal in value because it could be ah. seized or, you know, put on a blacklist by the mm -hmm. United States State Department or something. But just, you know, for, you know, argument's sake, mm -hmm. these tokens are fungible. And then on the other hand, you have non-fungible tokens, which currently are, are typically used to represent artwork or ownership of, of digital artwork. Um, but in theory, it could be used as a digital token that represents ownership of real estate or, or any other um, digital or physical asset. And then that could be traded on the blockchain or, or tokenized or lent mm -hmm. out or anything else. So that's kind of the, the you know, one minute explanation. Mm -hmm. And so you own NFTs, right? I do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, what type of NFTs do you own? Is it like art? Is it memes? You know, they're pretty much all different art. Um, so I, I started a company with a couple other people in May or June. We formed the company officially called Patron, uh, P-A-T-R-N. And the initial kind of plan was to um create a crowdfunding platform for artists where they could post their artwork and set a goal in ethereum and then patrons could like their art um, by sending a certain amount of ethereum to an address associated mm -hmm. with that artwork and if if it reached the goal then we will mint however many copies uh, of the artwork that, that was, you know, there was a number of patrons that liked it and send out a copy of that NFT. Oh, that's um, cool. Actually, I understand that. That's, that's a cool concept. But along the way, we also created some, a first, I mean, just to kind of like learn how the space worked and, and kind of get our feet wet, we did a series of PFPs called Good Boy Society, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, like that is the super common beat in the death 
um, you know, 10,000 avatar images that are sold as NFTs now on Solana and Polygon and Ethereum. Like I, the original one was CryptoPunks in 2017 or 18 on Ethereum. And then, and then also, you know, Ford Ape Yacht Club is super popular. But there's like a million derivatives of these like 10,000 series of animal pictures. So that was the first thing we did. And I own some good boys um, that I bought. And then we also released some, some more like art series, which we didn't sell. We just gave them away. Uh, that's at art101.io. You can mm -hmm. see all of them. And so we just gave all these NFTs away. And I have, but, you know, people had to pay to mint them. Uh, so we gave away, I think, around 14,000 of these NFTs over the past few months. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we didn't charge any money for them, but just due to transaction fees on the Ethereum network, people paid, I think, well over a million dollars to mint these NFTs, and then they trade them on OpenSea. So I have some of those as well, and then I just been involved in different NFT communities. So I bought some NFTs from different people. And now our, our like actual crowdfunding platform is live at patron.me. So I, I've supported some of the artists there as well. So I probably have like a hundred NFTs or something now. Nice, They're all nice. like artwork related. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really like the concept of NFTs because I feel like it makes investing in things such as art, you know, a lot more accessible to the general population. I feel like historically, like most people are, have, you know, they haven't been able to, you know, attend art auctions and stuff like that to really you see art as, as an asset. Um, you know, it's been typically reserved for the, you know, uh, the, the top 1%, you know, um, and that's the whole thing about, you know, art. It's, you're not buying the paper, you know, you're buying the actual art itself. You're not you're not buying the medium necessarily and i think that's what nfts really hone in on because, right yeah yeah you're really yeah. buying the provenance right like you're buying when you buy it an auction like it's all recorded legally and you're buying the ownership right exactly art, and it's, so. it's actually better verification than buying at an art auction because you might be able to fake like a little paper slip or something like that but you can't you know fake the nfts you, right you know, you're always yeah. gonna and be able I, to I say think, i have, you know, the, have the original one in addition to your point about you know on the buyer side we're really trying to support artists as well like yeah especially you know, like artists in the kind of traditional world like you know you go to a gallery and when artists sell their work at a gallery they typically will get half of the money from the sale mm -hmm. and the gallery takes the other half which i mean i guess is you know they have the gallery has to pay for like rent and, and other expenses yeah. so maybe that's reasonable but yeah so i mean we are like kind of a digital gallery where people can support artists and and, and when they their work is, is kind of produced then we end up taking like a two and a half percent fee it's that's like nothing that's really small yeah compared to 50 percent. oh yeah, yeah definitely so yeah, I think it can be beneficial to both the artists and the collectors as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, I just think, you know, personally, a year ago, I was probably in kind of the boomer 
mindset like oh nfts are stupid i'll just right click and save it blah 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 right but yeah i i mean after you know being around it a lot and thinking about it a lot i i really just think that the way the world is moving you know if you look at like the amount of time people spend on the digital world compared to the real world over the last 30 years like the trend is in an obvious direction right mm -hmm. and i mean definitely yeah so i, I think you know digitization of, of ownership with respect to artworks or anything else is is going to be important in the future yeah and you know this isn't just like some like niche thing that only a few people or artists are doing but there are actually a lot of artists doing this and making money off of like selling nfts i was actually recently at like just a halloween party and there are a lot of creative people there and i was just talking to one of the, one of the people there and he was saying that he's an artist that basically he just like makes and sells these tiny little um kind of like like outside you know um environmental like drawings and everything like that and he sells them and he makes money just by um creating and selling nfts so it's a real thing that people are using you know it's not just an idea yeah. anymore. i mean open it's, it's sea, open yeah. sea does like i don't know 500 million dollars of volume a month i think they were over a billion for a couple of months recently mm -hmm. so yeah there's definitely a lot of people participating and, and a lot of money moving around yeah have you heard of a uh, bit redemption by any chance I haven't heard of that. Oh, okay. This is interesting. So you, you've heard about, you know, BitConnect. And for people that don't know, BitConnect was like this coin that was manipulated. And there was like this whole meme about it with uh, one of the investors named Carlos. And it, he would, <laughs> his whole thing was going, BitConnect! <laughs> like that. And, uh, you know, later on it came out that, you know, the, it, was, it was more or less a scheme. Um, so now he wants to do kind of a redemption arc. So what he partnered up with this uh, other person and they're actually minting um, that whole, like that whole meme, the whole BitConnect meme of him shouting and you know, all, all that, that whole speech <laughs> into little segments and actually selling those individually as NFT uh, tokens. Yeah, so it's kind of coming. Looking, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> at it on it. <laughs> <you ready? laughs> yeah so far zero eth volume traded but good luck to carlos I guess. yeah i just thought that was interesting and you know yeah. maybe maybe uh you know this whole thing will come out as a scheme too and so <laughs> you'll have yeah. to have a bit redemption for his bit redemption like i mean he seemed like a good guy who just was like paid to be there but you know. yeah that's what i was getting from it too and that's that's kind of what he's going for is that he wasn't actually like a part of the organization he was more or less an investor and he didn't really understand what was going on behind the scenes but I just thought it was interesting, more or less. Um, yeah. I want to talk more about uh, the subreddit and your involvement with that as a moderator now. Um, so what do you do as a moderator? Like, do you have specific roles assigned or do you guys all kind of have like... We do. The same job. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, we all definitely try to be available to help with anything that needs helping with, but we definitely have some specific roles that everyone generally tries to uh, take care of. And, and I mean, the, there's certain people who develop and run certain bots that help with moderation. And there's some people who tend to just be more active in the subreddit and and going through the mod queue 
uh, you know, where like things get, you know, put when they're reported or if they get flagged by Automod. Um, and also um, at, at this point, I run a bot, like a price ticker bot that works on old Reddit. And I kind of try to do my part in mod mail. I get a ton of mail. And also I try and set up the AMAs on the subreddit. Um, we have one guy who basically just runs the Discord and coordinates that aspect of it. Um, yeah, so we're pretty uh, segmented, I would say, kind of mm -hmm. have our specific roles. So you're saying you set up the AMAs. So what do you do by setting up the AMAs? Like you talk to the person that wants to do the AMA and everything, or how does that work? Yeah, just kind of filter them and then set up coordinate dates and then make sure that they get stickied and that they have, you know, that they're verified before they come on. Um, and to some extent, try and go find people, but for the most part, let people come to us. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we, and we've been trying to do more of that, not super successfully, but we have had some more mm -hmm. in the last couple of months. Have you had a favorite AMA? Um, I'm trying to think. I always try and ask questions just to be like the good, student who raises their hand in yeah, yeah. <laughs> seminar but uh, yeah everyone likes that I think um you know honestly we have another guy who is coordinating with reddit to do the reddit talk they have the reddit talk rollouts mm -hmm. um and reddit kind of helped arrange an ama on reddit talk with kevin o'leary just a few days ago the guy from shark tank and oh okay is, he, I was is little, he the bald one or which one is yeah, that? Yeah, he's the bald one, oh, okay. he's a software guy. I know he's And about. I was like a little bit, I don't know, like I just saw the comments from the people in the subreddit. Like I didn't know a lot about him and the comments were all generally skewed very negative mm. in terms of like what to expect. Yeah. But I thought, I thought he was like very, pretty uh, reasonable. And not, I mean, he was a little bit, for my taste, uh, a little shilling on uh, Solana and mm. and like Polygon, but overall, I thought he was really good and, and reasonable, and kind of was a nice bridge between the crypto world and, and the traditional finance world mm -hmm. that we haven't really had in the past. Yeah, I'll have to look through that AMA, you know, he does, I, I can see why, you know, that he was so polarizing on the subreddit, you know, just, he seems like a nice guy, but the way he comes across sometimes can, I think, be kind of like rash, you know? Yeah, he's a little like overbearing. Like, I, I just remember from his AMA, he said, like, he's like, let me give you an example. That's the kind of way he direct, like, he's very like, forceful in the way he gets yeah. the conversation but he was I mean I thought he was pretty good um and we had we also had a uh, um Eric Voorhees on with some MetaMask people or not MetaMask Shapeshift people mm. uh, like last month and they were really good as well to talk about decentralized organizations because supposedly uh Shapeshift is in the process of of becoming a DAO I think located in Wyoming um but 
they came on to talk about their shift from a traditional corporation into a, a, a DAO. So that mm -hmm. was really interesting. And I mean, he's like a pioneer in the Bitcoin space. So it's cool to have him on as well. Cool. How, how did you actually go about becoming a moderator for cryptocurrency? So actually, I was invited to come on, uh, I think, in like the middle of 2016 um, to create the price ticker that still runs if you go to old Reddit, at which at the time in 2016 was the only Reddit. I don't think new Reddit was out yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I was invited to come on and develop that bot, uh, which like it shows the top 10 cryptocurrencies and what the price of each cryptocurrency is in the banner. Like if you go to old.reddit.com slash r slash cryptocurrency, you can mm -hmm. see it um and, and i mean for for a while that was all that i did it was like i ran that bot and then i ran another bot that did some moderation stuff that somebody else has taken over now and and does a much more uh better job at, at keeping it updated and adding new features to it um but yeah i was invited on to add that and then i just was doing that and eventually it started you know helping out in mod mail. I'm generally a pretty professional person, so I mm -hmm. <laughs> can respond to angry people in mod mail or just mute them. <laughs> I yeah, I, I noticed that. Yeah, you're actually really good about responding uh, promptly. We try. We get yeah. a lot, but we try. Yeah. Um, so what what posts do you like slash dislike seeing on um your subreddit like are there any that you just see like all the time and you know that you're just kind of yeah. like sick of seeing and then are there any uh that like particularly catch your eye i mean honestly i always like all of the meme posts <laughs> my guy <laughs> which are now they're all banned from the subreddit for like the last two years maybe i don't know not two years maybe a year because mm -hmm. it was after moons came out like the whole, the introduction of the moon system has been like a huge shift in, in how the subreddit is run in terms of moderation, as well as what type of content gets submitted. Um, but I, I, I Can mean, you explain I like, the moon system? Cause I, I'm actually very confused by that. Not gonna lie. It's, it's pretty confusing. Uh, basically it's an Ethereum token that does not, run on the main network it runs on the test network more or less um, so in theory it should be valueless like you can play around on ethereum testnet or bitcoin testnet and get free bitcoins or free ethereum yeah right? but the reddit community points tokens um, started on the rinkabee testnet for ethereum as an ERC-20 token, which is like that or Sheeb. Um, and then they migrated to now be on this Arbitrum network that Reddit runs, but it still runs on the Rinkaby testnet. Mm -hmm. um, but basically it's like every upvote you get, you get a certain number of moons for that upvote at the end of the month. And Reddit distributes them to a vault, they call it, which is basically an Ethereum address that's associated with your Reddit account. 
Um, and people have figured out how to kind of like bridge these tokens to different networks. And so they do have some monetary value mm -hmm. at this point. Um, but their real purpose is supposed to be for subreddit governance. Like it's supposed to be like to provide the voting weight for a decentralized organization and that the subreddit itself should operate like a decentralized organization, mm -hmm. which is difficult to transition to. Uh, and I think that a lot of the users want us to kind of move faster with that transition. Um, and I'm not sure that most of the moderators or Reddit themselves is really ready to move at the same speed that a yeah. lot of users want yeah. to. And it's, it's tough. I mean, like, you know, when you want to make the whole system decentralized and vote on every single decision, like, that just adds a ton of work, like, you know, to people who are, you know, basically volunteering their time, like people are like, oh, well, now you're getting paid in moons. And like, generally we were all doing this before we got paid yeah yeah most of us are not doing anything with the moons except for voting so it's made things a lot more complicated and also introduced you know a lot of farming as people like to call it where people want to post with multiple accounts and, and try and do whatever they can to get as many upvotes as possible yeah and i feel like that would possibly make your job more difficult because you kind of have to weed out the farmers too it certainly does, but I mean, it's also kind of, I think, incentivized moderators to do more uh, on the subreddit and, and incentivize more people who, who want to become moderators. So we've been able to add some really good people over the last year to help out. Um, so I think overall, it's a net good for the subreddit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's certainly been a, a lot of work and, and a kind of tricky situation to navigate mm -hmm. <laughs> over the last 18 months or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, before we digress, you know, you're saying that you, you really like the memes before. Um, but so what type of posts do you dislike? Um, I guess like the, I guess at this point, it's just like the reposts, you know, like, you know, which I, I hate to say that because like Reddit is the land of reposts and like people are like, oh, we should like repost that. Mm. But I, I mean, it, like it gets tiring to see the same thing posted over and over again. But at the same time, I do understand like we're basically kind of a general audience subreddit and we add, I don't know, like, you know, a lot of days we add like 10,000 new members. So like, these are people coming into the space for the first time. And so like for them, it's new to them. So yeah. even that's if a, I just, that's a like, lot of members, like, members, 10,000 every day. That's crazy. I'm guessing like sometimes, you know, when there's a lot of news about crypto, there's probably even more than that coming on. I think, yeah. I mean, in the last year, I think we've added over like over two or 3 million new members. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So. so yeah. How have you, how have you seen like, um, the r slash cryptocurrency like a uh, subreddit change over the years that you've been a moderator there i mean like when i first started participating which is like 2014 it was pretty much a ghost town and like there was not a lot of moderation it's like posts about there's a lot of posts about litecoin and some of 
about like barbecue barbecue coin like barbecue taco coin, coin. <laughs> yeah, taco coin. yeah. <laughs> um so it's gone from that to being like a pretty mainstream subreddit where we're now getting like brigaded by gme people who are pumping their pump and dump coins and like we have lots of i mean like tons of new people who are looking for advice and looking for you know basic information um so it's kind of gone from like nerds and crypto anarchists and crazy people to i guess more more or less kind of your general cross-section of reddit to some degree mm-hmm. that's super interesting do you moderate for any other uh, subreddits i do uh not super actively um but I'm a mod at a couple other like tiny coin subreddits that have been a mod at since like 2014 or 15. Um, and Wow and uh, a Monero meme subreddit called Monero. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're all, I'm pretty sure they're, they're basically all like crypto related. Mm-hmm. Are there any, um, like subreddits that you're just like a big fan of or that you like recommend to any of the guests or for me to possibly do an interview for? Uh, that are tend to be on the larger side. Yeah, either. Um, yeah, I guess I like all, I mean, I'm kind of a nerd. So I like like our chemistry and our crystal growing. Um, actually, I think that a pretty cool subreddit that is like tangential to the whole NFT space is our procedural generation. Hmm. Um, I'm a, somewhat of a fan of roguelike video games. So I like our roguelike or our roguelike dev, which is like procedural generation video games. Mm-hmm. And then there's also our procedural generation, which is like not necessarily related to video games, but just generating artwork or terrain or, or other kinds of stuff mathematically, you know. Um, I don't know. I like all kinds of Reddits. <laughs> yeah, those are dope. Anyways, you know, our, our interview has been going on for about an hour, so I'm going to cut it uh, pretty soon. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug, like your business or your Instagram or anything like um, that? Yeah, definitely. I guess check out uh, patron.me. That's patron.me. Uh, if you're interested in NFTs or if you're just interested in supporting artists in a new way, um, you can go on there and see, you know, we're kind of in soft launch mode, but we're, we're live. Um, so you can check out the artwork that's being posted. And if there's anything that you like, you can, you know, send the artist a like and see if you get a copy of it minted. Okay, great. Well, anyways, John, thank you so much for the interview. It could not have gone any better. I feel like I learned so much about cryptocurrency and I feel like I learned about how much I don't know about it. (laughs) So I'm very humbled right now. Uh, Anyways, thanks again. Uh, You have a good rest of your night, okay? Talk to you soon. Thank you, Owen. All right, bye. Bye.